It never gets old. <laughs> How's everybody doing? Good, good. That's pretty lame, but that's okay. Hey, Josh did a really good job last week, correct? Right? It's amazing, uh, kind of all joking aside, how good of a teacher he has become. He has become a phenomenal uh, communicator. He's always been good, but he's just, he's gotten so much better since he's become the pastor of our Woodbury campus. And um, yeah, he's become a really, really good teacher. Let me, let me tell you guys a funny story. So um, I wasn't going to tell this, but Kyle just really wanted me to share this with you. So uh, we, he and I were in Africa last week and there was six of us that went and we had to get some things ready for our mission trips that are going and, and do some other stuff. And and kind of try to answer some questions that we have about what we're going to do there long term. But anyways, to get to Uganda, to get to where we are, it's four flights. It's miserable. It's, it's terrible. For those of you going on the mission trip, it's pretty rough. <laughs> but uh, we're traveling. I don't, I don't even remember which plane we were on or where we were going. I think we we're going to Amsterdam by this point. I can't remember. But uh, we're sitting on the plane next to each other, Kyle and I. And uh, he goes, hey, can you airdrop this picture to me? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm going through my phone. And I hit the airdrop thing. And not only does his name come up, but some girl named Brittany on the plane. It's just a Brittany airdrop. So I'm like, I'm going to send Brittany a picture. So I just took a picture <laughs> in the cabin and <laughs> sent it to Brittany. And all of a sudden, you hear some, someone's phone go bloop. And the girl sitting right next to Kyle opens up her phone. And she's just looking around. <laughs> and I just went, hey, hey, Brittany, it's us. I'm sorry, you know. <laughs> We just thought this would be fun. And uh, she didn't think it was funny. I thought it was fantastic. So what we started doing is every airport we would be in, I would pull up airdrop and, and just see all the names. And I'd just send random people random pictures. And we would start doing this. And we were in the airport in Africa. And uh, David Whetstone, who, who runs Mentor Leaders, he was with us. And, uh, and he's a good-looking single guy. So I was just taking all these pictures of him and sending them to just random women in the airport, being like, get this guy married before we leave Africa, you know? And, and, uh, and so all these women are just looking around and they're staring at him and he has no idea what's going on. But <laughs> Good times. So it's a game we made up. We call it airdrop. You can do it anywhere. You can do it in Starbucks. You can do it. You can do it right now if you wanted to. Wouldn't that be fun? We can all just airdrop random pictures to each other. So uh, good times. That's what you do when you have a 30-hour flight ahead of you. You lose your mind and you airdrop random people. So, all right. So we, have been <laughs> so we have been in the book of Revelation for quite some time. This is kind of a bittersweet thing. It's kind of neat that we're finishing up this, this big, important book of the Bible. And it's kind of sad. It's almost like you're moving away from a best friend or something. Like, we've been in this for so long. We conclude this today and, and we'll move on. And we've got some really neat books that we're doing coming up. But... Uh, um, this will be the last time that, that we kind of revisit and talk about the book of Revelation for, for probably three or four years. So if you haven't been with us, Revelation is like a roller coaster ride. And the last three chapters, though, are absolutely stunning. They're gorgeous. They're beautiful. They're positive. They're uplifting. It's, it's inspiring. So uh, we've spent the last couple of weeks in a very kind of sweet spot of Revelation. In chapter 20, we talked about something that very few Christians are familiar with because very few churches talk about it. It's called the millennial reign. It's where after the battle of Armageddon, Jesus comes down, defeats the evil armies of the earth and sets up shop literally, I believe literally, for a thousand years. And we reign with Christ on earth for a thousand years in perfection. There's a rebellion that rises up. Jesus quickly squashes that. He wipes away the old heaven, the old earth, and then there is judgment. In chapter 21, 
we have seen that the people who are evil, they will go to a place of eternal torment and damnation, hell. But in chapter 21, we see where the people who have loved God and followed God, where they end up. And chapter 21 is remarkably descriptive. We get the dimensions of heaven. We get the foundations, the names that are written on the foundations of the apostles and the names written on the gates are the 12 tribes of Israel. We see even the different kinds of stones and materials that heaven is built out of. And what happens is John is taken up on a mountain by an angel and he kind of sees heaven. He's on a new earth. Heaven comes down and he describes it kind of from a distance, right? Because it's a big city. And he describes the city. Now, here's what's neat about chapter 22. In the beginning of chapter 22, John is going to go in the city. He's going to go into the interior, and what we find out is in the middle of heaven, in the middle of this big city, is a garden, right? Almost like a central park. And in the middle of this central park is the throne of God. And so for the first five or six verses, John is gonna briefly tell us about the interior of the city, and then we're gonna have kind of an epilogue where Jesus is going to encourage us to prepare. We need to be ready to receive our eternity, okay? And Jesus is gonna tell us a little bit about that. And then we conclude, not just the book of Revelation, this is the conclusion of the word of God, okay? So you should have a notes hand out in front of you. Has everything I'm gonna say in there. Everything will be on the screens around the room. If you have a smartphone, um, if you're not busy airdropping people right now, you can get on the Experience Community app and you can click on service times and sermon notes and everything should be there for you. And if you have a Bible, very, very easy to find the chapter we're in today. It is the very last one, okay? We're in the very last chapter of the entire book, all right? I think you'll find this interesting today, some very practical stuff, and uh, we'll kind of hammer on that at the end, all right? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. Father, Lord, we thank you for the beautiful weather we've had the last couple of days. Lord, we thank you for springtime. We thank you, Lord, uh, just for all the blessings in our life. God, you're so good to us. God, we pray, Lord, that everything we do today, that it edifies this body, Lord, that it sharpens us, God, that it, that it causes us to get closer to you, Lord. We pray that everything we do today ultimately gives you glory, gives you honor. Lord, I pray that for anyone in this room who does not have a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that this morning you give them ears to listen. God, everyone who does have a relationship with you, I pray, God, that you can even grow them closer to you. God, we pray for every church in our city, pray for every non, uh, uh, nonprofit in our city, and Lord, we just love you and we thank you, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, chapter 22, here we go. This is our last chapter of Revelation. John says, then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Now here's what's interesting. All three of the largest religions on planet earth trace their origin 
to a garden paradise. Islam does, Judaism does, and Christianity does. They all trace its origin to the Garden of Eden. Now, all three of those religions are vastly different, but we all claim the same origin. And from that origin, we get themes like rebellion to God. We get themes like banishment from paradise, pain and suffering as a result of that rebellion, limited access to God. And we also get the idea of a savior coming and fixing what we have screwed up. So here's the thing. We start off in a garden. We're going to end kind of in a garden. Now we're going to live in a city, but in the inside of the city, in the interior of the city that we're going to live in for eternity is going to be again, like this central park, all right? This garden right in the middle. Now by this point in Revelation, because it's the end, right? By this point, all problems have been resolved. All repercussions of the fall of mankind have been corrected. Man has been completely restored. Humanity is perfect. That means all rebellion, all brokenness, all temptation and sin, all pain and suffering, all distance from God, these things have been taken care of. They are corrected. Everything is made right. You know what's fascinating about the end of the Bible is it's really just the beginning. It is just the beginning. When we come to the conclusion of this book, that's when our eternity begins. And that's where it all really kind of starts, if you will. So that's where we end up. Now, as John goes into the interior of the city, remember in chapter 21, he sees the city come down. It rests on a new earth. Now he's going to walk in, if you will. Imagine this angel walking him through the pearly gates, walking down the main street of the city. He sees this garden and this is what he describes. The first landmark that he sees in the garden is a river the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, and it flows from the throne of God. This river gives restoration. This river represents purity. So imagine this, purity and restoration come from the throne of God. That's where it flows from. That's where we're healed. That's where we're made pure is by the throne of God, okay? So that is coming directly from the throne. The second landmark he says is the tree of life. And he says it was on each side of this river that flows down the main street. The tree is on each side. It bears 12 different kinds of fruit every single month. Now, most people believe this isn't just one tree. If it was, it'd be a very big tree, right? With a hole in the center of it. Most theologians believe this is an orchard of trees. So these trees that line the main street where this river flows through, and this tree connects us to the very beginning of the Bible, and it connects us to the very end of the Bible. The fruit and the leaves of this tree bless us just like the river that runs through the main street blesses us. Now the water is a spiritual blessing. The river of life is a spiritual blessing. The fruit and the leaves from this tree are a physical blessing. It will heal the nations. Any kind of strife, any kind of warring, any kind of racism or hatred, these things have been healed. They've been taken care of. Now, it's interesting. We don't often think about heaven as being a place where we eat and drink, right? We don't really think of heaven in material kind of ways, do we? Like eating, drinking, things like that. But we will be doing those things. It alludes to that several times in Revelation. The idea of banquet feasts and this fruit and this water, all these different things. It seems like these things will give us nourishment for eternity. Now, the garden that's mentioned at the end of the Bible is very similar to the garden that is mentioned in the beginning of the Bible, except for one extremely important difference. 
In the Garden of Eden in Genesis 1 and 2, the one thing it didn't have is it didn't have the throne of God. At the very end, the garden at the end has the throne of God right in the middle. And what this shows us is the best blessings of heaven are not all the, the different things, the, 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 the walls made out of the different stones and the streets of gold, not even the water, not even the fruit, not even those things, the new heaven, the new earth. The most amazing part about heaven is going to be the purpose that God is going to give us that we are going to be able to serve and be with God forever. We live in a culture right now where we're all longing for purpose. There's even studies that say millennials will take less money if they have a job that gives them purpose. Imagine if all of us had purpose, right? The right purpose. We also are going to have FaceTime with God, intimacy with God, one-on-one -on -one time with God. The Bible says that no man has seen God's face. We will be able to look right into the face of God, right into the eyes of God. Imagine that we will be in complete contentment. All of us, I don't know if anyone else struggles with this. There are times in my life, even though I am so blessed, where contentment seems elusive for me. Imagine living an existence where you are 100% completely satisfied content, happy, nothing is wrong, right? Amazing. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Look, Jesus says, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. When I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had shown these things to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you, your brothers, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book, worship God. So this section, starting in verse six, this starts the epilogue. You ever read a book to where it concludes at the end, you have the end of the story, and then there's the epilogue, kind of the, the follow-up, if you will. So this journey that we've been on with John, right? The sights, the sounds, think of the drama he started to see in chapter 12 with the dragon and the woman that is being pursued, the antichrist and the false prophet, all these different sights and sounds, the, the, the trumpets and the seals and the bowls and God's wrath, all these things have come to an end. The revelation has ended. Now John finds himself again in his right mind, if you will, on Patmos, the island where he was exiled, and he's hearing God, but he's no longer seeing anything. So this is the epilogue. And we get one of the main themes of Revelation right here. The angel says, these words are faithful and true. What that means is, John, everything that you have written down, everything you have seen and heard, this is the definite future. These things will take place. These words are faithful and they are true. Now, whenever you're reading your Bible, if you have one that does the red letter thing, you should pay attention to every word of the Bible because every word is there for a reason. But when we see the red words, those should really jump out. Those are the words of Jesus Christ himself. We should meditate on these words. We should think about these words. And so Jesus says, look, I am coming soon, exclamation point. Jesus is being emphatic when he says this. So when we read this, 
We must understand that God's time is different than our time. This book was written 1,900 years ago, the book of Revelation. So God is infinite and we are finite. 1,900 years to us sounds like a long time. To an infinite God, that's nothing. It's a blip on the map. But the theme is clear. The message is clear. Every single day that passes, we are getting closer to Jesus's return. Time is getting shorter and shorter. And Jesus says, be ready. Because you don't know. Be ready, be ready, be ready. And that urgency, that sense of urgency should push us to be obedient. Jesus says, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. You know, it's fascinating to me. So many people don't read the book of Revelation. How do we keep the prophecies of Revelation if no one reads the book of Revelation? That's why we study it. That's why this book says you're blessed if you read it out loud. We're called to live in obedience to what Jesus commands us to do. Now, John's role was to document what Jesus told him for us. This book was written for us. It was written for the churches. And we are called to live and teach the things that this book tells us to do. Not only are you to listen to what Revelation says, read what Revelation says, we are to tell people what Revelation says. Now, Paul says this. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We live in a culture now, a Christian culture, to where so many Christians are afraid to share the gospel. They're ashamed of it. They wouldn't admit that, but they are but we need to get over that. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed to tell you the prophecies. I'm not ashamed to tell you the gospel because Paul says it's the only thing that saves our soul. So if you love people, you shouldn't be ashamed of what you are and what God has done for you. We should share that information. Now, I'm not telling you to grab a King James Version Bible and start beating people up on the streets with it. That's not what I'm saying. But get to know people and look for opportunities and pray for opportunities for you to be able to share the gospel with people. That's what we should do. We shouldn't be ashamed of it. Now, if you've been with us for Revelation, this is the second time John does this. John gets overwhelmed by what he's seen and what he's hearing, and he falls down in front of his tour guide angel, and he starts worshiping this angel. For the second time, this angel goes, stop, don't do this. I'm a servant just like you're a servant. Now, I know that this angel is of God, right? That's very clear. But one of the things that we've learned in Revelation is we have to be careful because not all things that are shiny and pretty are of God. Not all things that glitter are gold. We have to have the gift of wisdom. We have to have the gift of discernment. You know it's coming. We have to know the word of God to know what is not of God. So what happens is a lot of people start following these clowns, right? A lot of these hyper-charismatic nutcases that speak all kinds of wacky stuff and they don't know that they're hearing bad theology because they don't read the Bible. I'm gonna harp on that here again here in a second. So we must use discernment, we must use wisdom because one day a man is gonna come and he's gonna do a lot of signs and miracles and wonders. He's gonna fix everything and a lot of people are gonna be duped by him because they have not read the word of God. He's called the Antichrist, right? Okay, let's keep going. Then he said to me, don't seal up the words of this prophecy of this book because the time is near. Let the filthy still be filthy. Let the righteous go on in righteousness. Let the holy still be holy. Jesus says, look, I am coming soon and my reward is with me to repay 
each person according to his work. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter into the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest to these things to you for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. Now, here's the thing, and here's where I get kind of frustrated sometimes with people when it comes to the Bible and when it comes specifically to the book of Revelation. The Bible is not meant to conceal truth. The Bible is meant to reveal truth. Revelation in particular is not a cryptic puzzle. So many people say, I don't read the book of Revelation because it's puzzles and codes and you can't. That's not true. It is a book that is created to bless us when we study it and bless us when we read it out loud. It is the only book of the Bible that says you'll be blessed if you read it out loud. It says it in chapter one, verse three. The only, there's 66 books of the Bible. It's the only one that makes that promise. That means you should probably read it out loud. Here's the thing. The issue isn't with revelation. The issue is not with the Bible. Our problem with understanding God's word is our work ethic when it comes to the Bible. We don't want to study it. We don't going to get into it. Can I, can I get on a soapbox here just for a second? Just for a second. I actually have one in my office. One day I'm going to pull it out here. Someone made it for me. I'm going to set it here and do my thing. Let me get on it for a second. Listen, I go to Starbucks a lot. I love Starbucks, right? And so when I go to Starbucks, and this is a good thing, I see a lot of people doing Bible studies. Do you know what's troublesome though? I rarely see Bibles. So people are always reading the new Francis Chan or whoever that lady is that I keep seeing in Target, girl, wash your face or whatever the heck this book is, right? People are always reading supplemental material. Listen to me for a second. Nothing wrong with Francis Chan, nothing wrong with Target lady, nothing wrong with these other people. But if you're busy reading the supplemental material all the time and you never get into the true word, give you, I'll give you my word, one day you're gonna be fooled. Amen. There was a guy named Rob Bell. I read a bunch of his books. He's a complete heretic and I don't mind saying it. And if that hurts your feelings, I can prove to you he's a heretic. And so when you guys have, when you have guys like Rob Bell that are eloquent and good speakers and write really phenomenal books, at least he did before he went nuts, the problem is, is a lot of people would read Rob Bell, but they wouldn't read the Apostle Paul. So what happens when a clown like Rob Bell says there is no hell, and Jesus Christ himself says there is a hell. But more people believe Rob Bell than they believe Jesus Christ, and they still call themselves Christians. Fascinating to me. So listen, nothing wrong with Francis Chan or Target Lady or some of these other people, but you need to get into the Word of God. Here's a novel idea. Do a Bible study with the Bible. Fascinating stuff, right? Now, and that's not me trying to be mean, but we don't, we're, we're, for some reason, we're scared of this. This is the book that gives us life and hope and direction. Nothing wrong with Francis Chan, but Francis Chan is not one of the documentarians. He's not one of the authors of the Word of God. He is just adding some thoughts to what is the thought, what is the direction, okay? Why don't you get into the word of God a little bit more? Just, just encourage you. So this angel says to John, let the filthy be filthy. What in the heck is that up with? What's it? What is, I didn't, that wasn't a complete sentence. <laughs> what in the heck is up with that? There you go. Verse 11. 
shows us that people, you guys are like, that's what he gets for being a jerk about Target lady, right? <laughs> that's what he gets. Verse 11 shows that many people will see the light, they will hear the truth, and they will continue right on in evil. In the book of Romans chapter one, it says that God who, 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 who knows people's hearts, that if people continually want evil and reject the light, God will give them over to, it says in Romans chapter one, a worthless mind. On the flip side, people who have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, God will continue to grow and mature and evolve them closer to who he is. This is another reminder that how we live matters to God. How we live matters to God. Now, by verse 12, this angel that has led John through a pretty significant part of Revelation, this revelation, he now steps aside and Jesus steps in. And Jesus' message is crystal clear. Jesus says, I am coming soon. My reward is with me to repay each person according to their work. He also reminds John, he says, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last. He is everything. He transcends everything. And he is coming back to repay people for what they have done or what they have not done. Now, here's also what Jesus says. He says, for those of you who wash your robes. Now, it says washing your robes back in chapter seven. It's referring to the martyrs, that they washed their robes in the blood of the lamb. Now, there's two different Greek words used for the word wash here, and this is very important. In chapter seven, the Greek word for wash is past tense, that they have washed one time. In chapter 22, the Greek word for wash is present tense, which means you're in the middle of washing. What this means for us Christians is that we are to be washed, which means there has to be a definitive point where we give our lives to Jesus Christ. We convert to follow Jesus. We're washed. Also, though, because we're going to make mistakes and we're going to do dumb things, we have to continually go back to the source that cleanses us, the blood of Jesus Christ, and we must be continually being washed by Jesus Christ, being made more in the image of him. We have a relationship with him. And Jesus says the clean will be welcomed into the city. Jesus says the washed may enter in where no sorcerers, sexually moral, murderers, idolaters, or anyone who loves and practices falsehood, they will not be able to enter. So again, we learn here that there is a standard by which the Christian must live in order to receive eternal life. Now, here's another thing. I'm gonna get on another soapbox. We have this terminology a lot in Christianity, and I think it's incorrect terminology, where we say we're all sinners. We're all sinners. We're all broken. We're all sinners. Now listen, the sins that Jesus mentions here, if you live these sins, if you're characterized and defined by these sins, these sins will keep you out of heaven. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. He makes a list of people who live in a certain way will not inherit the kingdom of God. But here's the thing, guys. We can live righteously. You are not, if you are a born-again Christian that has a relationship with Jesus, you're not a sinner. You may sin occasionally, but you are not marked and defined by sin. Romans chapter 6 says we are freed from sin's claims and we are new creations in Jesus Christ. You're not what you used to be. So we need to change our terminology. Just because you've lied doesn't mean that you are a liar. That is not your character. That is not your nature. That is not who you are. We may occasionally fall to sin, 
But as long as we don't relent to the sin, as long as we don't live the sin, as long as we go to Jesus Christ and say with humility, Lord, I am sorry. He forgives us, he forgets us, he forgets that sin, and we are not characterized by that if we continually go back to the cross. So this idea, we're all sinners, you're not a sinner. You're a born again, righteous follower of Jesus Christ if you have a relationship with him. It's my problem, someone who's been sober for 25 years and they're like, I'm an alcoholic. And I'm like, no, you're not. You have been delivered from that and you're not the same person you used to be, right? Let's give God a little bit of credit. He can redeem, deliver, and change us and we are not the person we used to be, okay? All right. So Jesus also says he's the root of David and he's the morning star. The root of David alludes to the Old Testament. Jesus is basically saying all the, all, the, all the prophecies, all the promises of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, I fulfilled them. All the prophets when he, uh, prophecies, when he says he's the morning star, all those prophecies, all those promises, he says, I have fulfilled those as well. I have given you my word. I have kept my word. I'm the root of David. I'm the morning star, right? He's everything, okay? Last part. John says, both the spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who, who, who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life freely. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share of the tree of life and the holy city, which are written about in this book. He who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. John says, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. Amen. In the very last little chunk of the book of Revelation, John goes from being a documentarian to an evangelist. He changes roles. Look at what he says. He says, both the spirit and the bride say, come. Now, here's what that means. The spirit of God is what draws us in. That's what draws us in. But God has commanded the church to be the witness and the avenue to which people find salvation. Basically, Jesus has a tee set up. He puts the ball on it and he says, hey, church, knock a home run, right? He sets it up. He gets it ready for us. He draws people in and we are called to be the witness and to bring them into repentance and into a place of salvation. That's his design. He also says that everyone is welcome. Those who are thirsty, he says, take freely. It's yours. It's free for you to take. But in order to drink the water of life, two very important things come into play. We must not alter the gospel message. We must not add to it, and we must not take away from it. Here's the thing. God's principles are not to be twisted to fit society. Amen. Society is meant to be twisted to fit the word of God. Society and culture change all the time. The word of God never changes. The principles in this word never change, okay? So the first thing that we must not do is we must not add to the word of God. This means we cannot add our personal convictions. We cannot add our speculations, either to the book of Revelation or to the Bible as a whole. Now, 
Let me say this. When it comes to revelation, I'm talking about salvific things, principles. Now, you can speculate that we're, we go before, that there's a rapture before the tribulation. I can speculate that we go after. That's not what that's referring to. This is talking about adding things, adding things that one has to do to be saved or have a relationship with Jesus. Let me give you a good example. Whenever some churches say it is a sin to drink alcohol, it is not a sin to drink alcohol. In fact, in Timothy, Paul says, hey, Timothy, every once in a while for your stomach, you should drink some wine. It is not a sin. That is me adding to the Bible to say that drinking alcohol is a sin. Now, being drunk is a sin, because the Bible says that, but drinking alcohol, I cannot tell you that that's a sin. That has to be something that you need to talk to the Lord about, but that is me adding to the Bible if I add something like that. And the Bible says that if I add my personal convictions to this, God will add his plagues to my life. We must also not subtract from the word. Now, this is where we get into problems. When we start taking away things like the teaching on hell, like our friend Rob Bell, right? When we start taking away the teachings of a literal hell, when we start taking away the things like sexual deviation, sexual practice, and sexuality, when we start removing those things because it doesn't fit into our culture and our choices, that is dangerous. And Jesus says, I will take away your name from the book of life if you take away from my word. Let me give you an example of how slippery of a slope this is. I would say about 85 or 90% of all teaching on human sexuality and sex and sexual practice is written by Paul. Paul wrote about 70% of the New Testament and the majority of stuff talking about sex, right, was written by Paul. So what has happened in our current culture is a lot of Christians, Christians don't like what Paul has to say, so they subtract Paul from the New Testament. 70% of the New Testament, gone. Now, let me tell you the real problem with that beyond you just stripped 70% of the New Testament away is if you take Paul out in 1 Peter, Peter says to the Jewish people, do everything that Paul tells you to do. So if you take out Paul, you gotta take out Peter because Peter affirmed Paul. Now, let's go back a little bit further. The reason why Peter had any authority is because Jesus gave him the keys to the kingdom. So if you take out Paul, you got to take out Peter. And if you take out Peter, you got to take out Jesus. You see how that goes? So when we start cutting the things out that we're uncomfortable with, you have nothing left. Nothing stands. Paul says this, not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Look at what Paul says here. Paul says, even if an angel shows up at your house and tells you something contrary to this word, they're cursed. Amen. You know what's interesting? When you get into these like rabbit holes of these nutty charismatic churches, right? Some of you listen to a lot of their music. But anyways, when you get into that stuff, a lot of those pastors will tell you that angels visit them and give them revelation. I'm really leery about that kind of stuff because if anything tells you anything contrary to this word, it is not from God. Amen. It may be a spirit, but it's not a Holy Spirit. Amen. Something is wrong. Nothing God does will contradict his own word, even if it's by an angel, okay? So we must take this book in its entirety. The true follower of Jesus Christ takes the word of God as it stands, we may not always understand it. We may not always like it. But we know that the warnings of Revelation chapter 22 are real, that one day Jesus is coming back and he will judge us based on what we have done. Here's the other thing. 
A lot of quote-unquote Christians are afraid of the book of Revelation. We actually had some people leave this church because they didn't want to hear the words of Revelation. They were afraid of it. The true Christian is not afraid of Jesus coming back, but just like John, they say, come on, Lord, bring it. Come on back. Has anyone ever been there before? Man, there are times, sometimes after I meet with some of you guys, where I'm like, Jesus, come on back. We are messed up people. Come back, Lord. And there are times just like John, he says, Lord, come on, come back, come back, amen. And so the most dominant theme, if you've been with us through the book of Revelation, the most dominant theme of this book is not death and destruction and damnation. It's grace. God is literally going to move the mountains and the sea and the sun. He's literally gonna move the universe and the earth to get our attention. He absolutely loves us. Here's the thing about God. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me, but he wants you. He wants me. That makes it even more special. God has nothing to gain from a relationship with humanity, but he wants to be with us anyway. He loves us so much. But what he tells us to do is this. He says, prepare, prepare. The Bible says this. We, that's you and I, the church, we are to prepare ourselves like a bride prepares herself for her groom. I don't know if you've been to a wedding, gotten married, been a bridesmaid, done a wedding. The preparation that a bride puts in on her wedding day is fascinating. It starts off at like five in the morning for like makeup, right? Goes on and on, hair appointment at 12, and that lasts for three hours and all these things, right? But I've done, God, I know 50, 60 weddings in my time. Done a lot of weddings. And a woman never looks more beautiful than on her wedding day, right? Just gorgeous. And when those doors open up and they walk in and then the groom sees their bride, right? Beautiful, beautiful. That's how we're to prepare ourselves for the Lord. We're to get ourselves clean. We're to work on our relationship. We're to depend on him. We're to long to see him face to face. That's how we're to prepare ourselves. So let me ask you first. Have you been washed? Listen, some of you may call yourself a Christian, but I'm gonna ask you something. Has there been that definitive point in your life where you have gotten on your knees or laid on your face or walked around in your garden outside or wherever this, this place is to where you have deliberately and intentionally said, Jesus, I love you more than anything. I wanna follow you. Please forgive me for the things I've done wrong. God, I give my life to you. Have you done that? Have you done that? deliberate, deliberate, intentional, giving yourself over to God. Have you done that? Have you been washed? If you have done that, when we make mistakes, when we fall, when we do sin, as Paul said, when I want to do the right thing, but I'm not capable of doing the right thing, when we do that, do we run back to Jesus and say, God, I'm sorry, I don't want to do things that are wrong. I don't want to sin. Forgive me, Father. Do we continually go back? Are we evolving to look more and more like our Savior? That's called sanctification, to be set apart for God to use us. Are we growing closer and closer to him? Are we being washed and are we continually washing? Are we doing that? Do we accept God do we accept his word in its entirety? Even if it's uncomfortable, even if we don't understand it, do we say, God, we know you're God and we accept this for what it is. 
regardless of what our lives look like, regardless of the friends and relationships it may even cost us. Jesus talked about that it will even divide families. Some of you have experienced this before. But do we take the word in its entirety or do we cherry pick things we love, right? Do we even know the context of the word of God? There's a big running joke around people who work here. The Philippians 4, uh, 13, right? I can do all things through Christ. It gives me strength. You know, that has nothing to do with like hitting a home run, right? That's talking about suffering for Jesus. But everyone's like, I can do all things through Christ. It gives me strength. That's not talking about making an A on your report card. That's talking about I can make it through the persecution and hard times that I may go through for the name of Jesus Christ. Do you know the context of the word of God? Do you take it for what it truly says? Do you thirst for God? We thirst for football season. We thirst for money. We thirst for that new house or that car. We thirst for, but when you haven't spoken to your creator for a couple of days, do you feel depleted? Maybe you've missed church. You know the average Christian goes to church one time a month? Do you know that's why we do announcements four weeks in a row? If we do a major event, we announce it four times up here in front of you. Do you know why? Because the average Christian, if we announce it four weeks in a row, the average Christian will hear it one time. That's if you show up on time. One time. So the average Christian worships 25% of the time. And we wonder why we're in the mess we're in. Do we thirst for God? Can we honestly say, Lord, come quickly? Or have we fallen in love with this earth? Have we fallen in love with the things of this earth? Are we the evangelist? John takes on the role of evangelist. Do we love the world around us enough to share with them the truth? Well, Corey, I don't want to offend them. Well, brother, sister, I don't want them to burn for eternity in hell. So I'm gonna share what God has given me that has set me free. I've overcome drug addiction. I've overcome suicide attempts. I've overcome all kinds of insecurities from a lack of father in my life and all kinds of things that I've gone through, not because I'm good, but because the gospel is good and because Jesus Christ is good. Why would you not share that? Why would you not tell people? It is the gospel that saves marriages. It is the gospel that saves economies. It is the gospel that saves governments. It is the gospel that saves souls. Do you love people enough to share this truth? Well, it might offend them. It might. Jesus offended a ton of people, but he spoke the truth and he spoke it with love and tenderness and care. Here's the last thing. Do you know, do you know as we conclude this book of the Bible, do you know that God would move all heaven and earth for you because he loves you? Do you know it here? Do you know it here? Do you know what the greatest desire of mankind is? I'm gonna tell you if you don't know what your greatest desire is. The greatest desire of every single person in this room is to be known. That's why we have Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. That's why we hang our degrees on the wall. That's why we dress a certain way and tell people the achievements we've done because humanity has a desire to be known. We have a desire for people to know who we are. You know what's fascinating is we are known. God himself says, I know every single hair on your head. God says, before you were knit together in your mother's womb, I knew 
The greatest desire of humanity is to be known, to be recognized. And what God is shouting at some of you is, I know you. I know you, I love you, and even when you are at your worst, I have sent my only son to die for your mistakes. The greatest words that have ever been documented, that God so loves the world that he gave his only son, that whoever will believe in him will not die, but inherit eternal life. The greatest words that have ever been penned. Jesus says, you guys are so worried about being known. And God is saying, I know you. I see you right this second. And I will do everything within my power to get your attention. Some of you are struggling right now with affirmation and insecurity. You want to be validated. You want to be affirmed. And even if no one on earth ever validates you or gives you affirmation, the creator of all life says, I know you, I affirm you, I validate you, you are valuable to me, and he wants to be with you forever. The greatest words ever written, that God loves us so much that he would give his only child to die on a, on a criminal's cross just so he can be with us. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Listen, if you are in this room, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, Dave is up here to my right, your left, towards the front corner of the stage. I know this may take a little guts and I know it may be uncomfortable for you, but if you are in this room and you have not deliberately given your, your life to Jesus Christ, if you have not asked God to forgive you, if you have not taken that step, if you're interested in that, maybe you have questions Maybe you're not sure, but you feel something right now. Dave is up here to my right, your left. Please come up here and talk with Dave. He's one of the pastors at this church. He's a good man. He can pray with you. He can help you. He can answer questions for you. Please come up here and talk to him. There are also men and women on both sides of the stage. If you have any prayer requests, anything at all that you want someone to share and, and, and help you with and pray and agree with you on, please come up and get prayer. And then the last thing is this, maybe you have been washed, but your relationship with God is not what it should be. You need to be going back. You need God to cleanse you again. You need to build that relationship back. There's communion all the way around us, represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, who loves you, who knows you. He sees you right now in your seat. He has made you in his image and he thinks the world of you. He wants to be with you forever and ever and ever. And he will move all earth and heaven, the mountains and the seas. He will do everything he has to do to get our attention. And right now, maybe he's trying to get your attention. Everyone is welcome to take communion, to remember that God loves us so much that he sent his only son, that if we will just follow him, will have everlasting life. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you, God. I thank you so much for this church. I thank you, God, for my brothers and sisters who are in this room. Lord, God, humble us. Lord, speak into our lives. God, Lord, give us courage to follow you and to stay strong. Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace. Bless every man and woman and child in this building. God, we love you. 
We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. You're welcome to help yourself.